Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Wick Realty. Wick has helped me buy and sell a home twice now, and both experiences were fantastic. In fact, we ended up in the house that has hosted the vast majority of these podcast conversations. What I really love is that Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. You can see their signs in neighborhoods in every corner of the city. So if you're buying, selling, if you're building, looking for investment property, or even if you're a first-time homeowner, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. Today's guest is Anna Ramirez. Anna is a first-generation American. Her parents immigrated here from Mexico, and she works as a senior business consultant at the SBDC. That's the Small Business Development Center at West Texas A&M University. The SBDC helps entrepreneurs navigate the process of starting a business. And as somebody who started a business, like that is a very difficult process. And one of Anna's specialties is outreach to the Hispanic community which plays a major role in the local economy. So we talk about her backgrounds, being the first member of her family to go to college, and why small businesses are so central to Amarillo's success. Here's Anna Ramirez. Anna Ramirez, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. I know that there's a lot of stuff for us to talk about. But I like to start these conversations by kind of putting you in, in the context of, of Amarillo. And so let's start by, you know, just telling me how you ended up here. Why are you here in the first place? I grew up here. Okay. And so I went to Paladero High School and decided that I wanted to pursue higher education. So I went to uh, West Texas A&M University and I found myself close enough to home, but far away enough. Okay. And Did you actually like live in Canyon? Did yes. you move to the university <laughs> I moved to campus? Canyon okay. so I could get away from uh, living at home, but I could still come back home um, whenever I got homesick. Okay. Yeah. 15 miles is far enough away that you're a little <laughs> bit independent, but like not so far that you can't get your laundry done or something, right? Yes. It was actually very helpful. Do you, do you have any idea how your family ended up here? I mean, do you know much about the, the history in Amarillo? Uh, so my family emigrated from Mexico. Oh, okay. Yes. Do you know how long ago that was? Uh, I'm going to say 30 plus years ago they did, emigrated, yes. Did they come directly to Amarillo or was it sort of a, a journey to get here with, with No, they stops? came directly here. We already had some family here. And so I think everybody just kind of followed and got here. What do you know about your parents' decision to come here? I mean, that's a big step to, to immigrate to the U.S. For a better lifestyle. Okay. So uh, things in Mexico weren't that good at the time. Um, uh, resources for food and job security were pretty, pretty hard times for them. And so they decided that they wanted to give their kids uh, a better life. What part of Mexico were they originally from? Chihuahua, Mexico. Okay. And did you have like siblings or anything at the time or did they wait to have a family once they got here? The, uh, actually, me and my brother were already existent and then okay. we, I have two other siblings that were born here. So do you remember anything at all? About actually, that no, I do not. I remember living here ever since since I was little. All right. You don't have memories of a, a home in Mexico or no, anything No, but like I've that. seen pictures. It doesn't look very good. <laughs> okay. So, so you, I don't you think I'm going to miss it. Yeah. 
Um, what what did they end up doing? Like like what kind of opportunity did they have in front of them when they arrived here? Do you know? I think the opportunity of education. Um, they did uh, part of our culture as Hispanics is, you know, you have kids and you as soon as they have the age, they put them to work. Right. And so whenever they came here, their mentality was, you know, we're going to do something different. Um, I would always see my dad's hands and they're all rough. And he's like, this is this is not the lifestyle I want for you. I want you to go to school so you don't have to work as hard as we do. But even even after finding, I guess, that opportunity here, it was still a lifestyle of, of hard work for him. For him, yes. Uh, I think it's the lack of education, uh, the language barriers, and it made it so much, uh, it made it difficult to start over. I, I know that in a lot of families, you know, education is often a goal, but being the first in your family, like to go to college or, or going through that process when your parents haven't done it before you. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of challenges to that, whether it's applying for schools, applying for scholarships, trying to figure that out. I mean, do you remember, was it, was it easy or, or was there any parts of it that, that seemed hard? Oh, it, all of it was hard. It's like being lost at Walmart or at the fair to to put okay. you in a perception. You are like in a completely new place and you don't know anybody and it's you feel like you don't belong there. But you made it. I did. I was the first in my family um, to graduate school. And so the I hope that the rest are trickling in. So Was that part of the reason for staying a little bit closer to home was to continue... You know, being being a good example, being involved in your family, as opposed to, you know, moving someplace further away. Uh, part of our, like, Hispanic culture is you're very family-oriented. So you're it's typically not unusual for you to uh, stick around home. It's, you know, you go to your, uh, fam- your family on Sunday and have mm-hmm. uh, breakfast or lunch. And so we're, uh, ever since we were little, we were very instilled in family um and so I, it did cross my mind that, oh, it would be cool to go to Dallas and move away and experience something. Um, but I get the the privilege of getting to travel, and I think that's good enough. I think that it's more important for me to be able to peek in and um, make tamales or peek in and um, have my kids there with growing up with uh, their grandparents as opposed to living, you know, across the country. Okay. Did you know what you wanted to do once you graduated from high school and enrolled at WT? No, I had no clue. <laughs> I, I just knew that my parents wished for this and it was their vision. And so I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. And I originally started, I was, I've always been really good with numbers. And so I was like, well, that, I'm going to pick something that's kind of easy. And I wanted to be a CPA. I quickly realized that Sure, I was good at the number part, but they were kind of stuck in their little cubicle like Mm -hmm. 24-7. And so I wasn't quite sure that that's, it just sounded boring at the time. And so I shifted a little bit. And so I studied uh, business administration. And then doing that, like, did you have a a goal in mind? I mean, did you... Did you want to start a business? Did you have dreams of entrepreneurship? I mean, what was- I do, and um, I have a small little side gig. Um, we occasionally, you know, just do side projects, rental properties, stuff like that. So it's somewhere in my, you know, nature, in my veins. But I know I didn't know that that's what I wanted to do. It's just, ooh, that sounds cool. I'm mm-hmm. gonna try that. I want to do that, and it, it's fun. So it doesn't feel like it's something that I'm working hard for. It's just something that comes to me, and it's fun. So I. 
I keep doing stuff like that. What did your parents do? What were their careers? Uh, my dad's a plumber. Okay. And my mom's a stay-at-home uh, mom. Okay. So, you know, being a plumber, there, there's a little bit of entrepreneurship attached to that, but it's it's also, you know, difficult, you know, labor kind of, you know, intensive kind of work. And so there's there's a balance of, you know, running a business or, or trying to make money, but also you're you're working for yourself and, and it can be difficult. Yeah, you know, now that I think about it, I do see a lot of that in them um, because people would always come to the house and they're like, is your dad home? Um, I need him to help me do mm -hmm. something. And so they've always, uh, since I've known them, have always been working on, on a project or, or on something. Yeah, I'm, I'm always curious how, you know, someone's, a young person's career goal is defined by like what their parents did whether you see something and it's attractive to you or you see something and you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. But either way, it can kind of guide you, you know, in a certain direction. That's true. I definitely don't want to be a plumber. Okay. Ever. <laughs> well, I would be a terrible plumber. So, um, all right. Tell me about uh, the SBDC and, and how you got involved with that. It's a funny story. I actually, when I started pursuing college, um, I was like, well, how am I going to pay for this? And so I started applying for as much scholarships as I could because I knew it was expensive. Um, I won a scholarship at the Amarillo Hispanic Chamber of Commerce um, tied to that. It was the very first year I remember that tied to that scholarship was an internship unpaid and, you know, not a lot of hours. But he's like, you come in and I'll see what I can teach you about bookkeeping. And so I was like, well, you know, summer between high school and college. So I went to do that. And the SBDC happened to be office right next door. Hmm. Um, when I started at uh, WT they were looking for a student worker and he my boss was like uh you should you should apply you know you need they're they're a part of wt they'll probably help you you know work study and you should just go for it and so i did and i've been there ever since so how many years ago was that that was in 2008 okay. is when i started as a student worker okay and so you you did that all the way through until you graduated, I did a couple of months before I graduated. Um, they were super flexible, so I so I stayed there because it's hard to find flexible jobs while trying to go to school. And a couple of months before I graduated, my bosses and I remember it was a Christmas party. He's like, "I know you're fixing to graduate. We wanna we wanna keep you here." And so they offered me uh, coordinating a position, um, and so I ran all their events. I think for a year and. That was kind of stressful. I didn't love love it, but it was my first job out of school. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until it's a small. Our, our office is pretty small. It's only five or six of us, so you really don't get to move up unless somebody quits or retires. And because of the nature of of our work, is people tend to love it and they stay there. Um, but I happened to have the opportunity to get promoted as a consultant. And then that's when I was like, ooh, I like this. Uh, I really, I find it a passion. Um, it's, it doesn't feel like I'm going to work. And I think my boss was the kind of person that I, I didn't know how to be independent. He's like, oh, you figure it out. You do what you think will make it happen. Hmm. And I, I learned the flexibility of um, inputting my own ideas into my job. And he was pretty supportive. Uh, what new events should we do? And what, what should we be working on? And I remember thinking, well, we don't do anything in Spanish. And, you know, uh, nothing really happened that quick. But I think one day he's like, hey, I have a producer coming in tomorrow. And can you write a script in Spanish? We're going to put you in there. And I'm like, 
uh, yeah, sure, one day is not enough time, but yeah, I'll do it. And that YouTube video just ha happened to go viral. Mm -hmm. And we today, we still get videos from that YouTube video. It's just one um, in Spanish. And okay. from Austin and Dallas, people are like, I want to start a business. And I think I realized there was a need there and that I could, I could do it. I spoke Spanish. I understood the culture. And so uh, we started developing other things that would help um, Hispanic-owned businesses. And just on my own, I started translating every resource that we had. Um, we even developed a, a workshop. Um, it's called Pasos al Éxito. And it helps with educating and helping people uh, navigate through entrepreneurship. Um, you see a lot of Hispanics, they're very entrepreneurship driven. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm very proud of that because they're some of our best clients. They really, I mean, they, they're not typical for business loans and they're not typical for handholding. They really just want, can you make sure that I'm doing it right? Okay. Um, and so we, that's how my niche kind of grew. Hey, I'm looking for Ana. Um, I was told that you could help me. And it's all Spanish uh, speaking clients. Um, somebody, so-and-so told me that you could help me start my own business. And, and so has, has your focus then for the last few years been almost entirely with the Hispanic community? Yeah. A lot that? of the majority of my clients that I specifically see are Hispanic-owned uh, businesses. A lot of them are Spanish-speaking and a lot of them speak English. I think they just, they want somebody who understands them. Mm -hmm. That it's not going to be like, I'm IRS and <laughs> I'm looking at your taxes. They just want the, uh, that connection of somebody who's going to understand them and actually help them. Okay, so before we go much further into that, I, I think we probably ought to give listeners an idea of the role that the SBDC actually plays, um, whether at WT or in the business community. Like, tell me why... You know, clients come to you, and and what sorts of services they're able to get. So we are like the one-stop shop for entrepreneurs and people who want to start a small business. I think we're uh, a big impact in our economy. Um, when somebody wants to start a business, uh, they come to us. I want to start a business. Can you help me? Um, it's a grant-funded program through the Small Business Administration and a part of the College of Business Department at WT. And so we work uh, very closely with our community in ways of uh, making sure that we can correctly guide um, somebody to start a business, to find the resources, whether it's applying for a loan or seeking grants, which we get a lot of that uh, those questions in there. Um, and we're kind of our partner in our community with other organizations, I would say as well, um, because you could see us working with the EDC and the WT Enterprise Center. Right. And it's because there are, for a lot of people, there are so many different steps involved in starting a business, whether it's creating a business plan or doing the legal documentation. I mean, it's, it's easy to think that well, I've, I've got a great idea for a business, but how do I get to that point? And so that's where, you know, you and, and the team there can step in and walk people through all those different steps, right? Yep. And even through the idea, because sometimes um, I think that's probably the coolest part is they have an idea and, and they don't realize that it's going to take a couple of steps to get there. Um, but that's probably the most rewarding moment in, in my career is, oh, remember when it was just an idea and now we actually get to walk through a space and get to see that that person's idea, you know, live. 
And so I, you'd begun to talk about, you know, how you found a niche translating, you know, the work of the SBDC to the Hispanic community and, and why that was so welcome. So tell me a little bit about that community and why it's so essential that somebody like you is, is there to kind of facilitate some of the, the business ideas, helping people understand if they're doing it right or not. You know, I know there's no shortage of work. There's no shortage of ideas, but a lot of it is, is needing somebody to just kind of say, yeah, this is, this is the right step. This is the right path. I think it's essential because as a community, we're only as strong as our weakest link. Um, and so uh, you notice that there's a lot of Hispanic growth. They're the leaders and drivers of our economy, and some of our decisions are kind of influenced on that. And I believe that if they're successful, we're all successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so me being able to be there, uh, we can create a lot more successful businesses which in turn creates more jobs, which in turn, you know, benefits our community as a whole. What can you tell me about some of the hurdles uh, that might be in the way of um, the Hispanic community, which at times might have been underserved, uh, maybe wasn't always on the radar of some of the banks or the lending institutions. I know that, um, that there's a strong history in Amarillo of entrepreneurship in that community, but... There's also a history of, you know, having some challenges to overcome in order to get to that part. They are definitely very underserved. Um, I think a big portion of of Hispanics is also in poverty mm-hmm. um, because you realize a lot of them are less educated. Um, they kind of stay to their own areas, and I don't. And I think we, as a community. Because they are so independent, we don't reach out to them. We don't get them involved. And so they, they're they not as involved in our community as they should be. And so we kind of let them be there. But if we could motivate them and, hey, there's research to help you and for you to grow your business and for you to get involved in your community, I think more people would do that um, if we could just include them. Is is the language barrier something that is difficult for some, maybe I mean, it might be generational. I understand, but it's generational for sure. Um, another my, barrier might be culture. They okay. they don't necessarily understand, or they're like we d- we don't do it that way. We're comfortable doing it this way. Um, education didn't necessarily used to be um, a big priority in those cultures, and they don't go out and vote. Um, but I I think it's just a mind shift, um, and their culture is lacks a little bit of adaptation, but I think um, reaching out to them, we could probably uh, bridge that gap. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious how much of your job is being available should somebody come to you or actually going out to them and saying, I, I'm not going to wait for you to come visit me. I want to reach out and and say, here are some resources. Here are some opportunities you're not thinking of. I mean, is, is there actually, is that a part of your job where you're going out into the community and saying, here, let's let's talk? Actually, no. Um, and mainly because they we have a lot of abundance. Okay. Uh, as soon as people started hearing that there was somebody who spoke Spanish and there was somebody that could help them, uh, just calls trickle in. And so the work is there. I have a lot of, um, I wouldn't have time to okay. go out. And, and I do try to make time to go out and reach out, but they're, they come to us. And it, 
what do you attribute that to? Is it was it the viral video? Was it word of mouth? I mean, uh, do you I see one successful business and they say, hey, this is how we got started? Word of mouth and the fact that people feel comfortable. They found somebody that's like them. That's not scary because we used to be located inside a bank. And now we're located inside of a university. And so the atmosphere is a little scary. They're like, oh, I don't want to go in there. Mm-hmm. And so they find somebody that's com- some something that makes them feel comfortable to reach out for help. What can you tell me about the Hispanic culture in Amarillo? I, I know that it's probably not wise to make generalizations about, you know, everyone of Mexican descent or anything like that. But is there something specific of... You know, the community that's developed in Amarillo that um, that you can point to and say, yeah, that's a characteristic of uh, of the community here. When I think of Hispanics and their characteristics, I see they're very hardworking. Um, I mean, no job is too small for them. They are persistent um, in whatever steps they need to, over, you know, to reach their dreams and their goals. Um, they're very family oriented, um, believers in, in God. And so... Um, whenever somebody needs help, you can see them helping each other within their communities, within their unique Hispanic communities. And you talked about how, you know, that's that's a part of the strength of Amarillo, you know, the, the fabric of our culture that's with so much of our population, I imagine it's 35, 40 percent, you know, being uh, Hispanic. Uh, what can you tell me about the, the larger impact on the city itself? I think it's going to do a shift. Um, you know, as more Hispanics grow, um, you notice that, and I've noticed in businesses, but you notice that there's a, a larger need to understand their cultures and a larger need uh, to market to them. Because I get a lot of businesses that are like, well, how do I get to them? Um, financial planners, marketers, mm-hmm. um, you know, people who want to do, they want to do business with Hispanics. And so I, I think it might be a learning curve for a lot of us and probably a culture change in, in our community. You might see, I see like flyers now in dual language, English and okay. Spanish, which I think is a good thing. And we, that, that's a change because for a long time, you know, that, that wasn't really even a second thought for a lot of businesses. They have um, money, and so you yeah, want well, their money. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's it's a huge market. You know, I, I know you spend a lot of time thinking about the business environment here, and tied to that, as you think about the growth of the Hispanic culture, um, and and having a larger you know presence in the market, like that also says a lot about how Amarillo is growing. I mean, do you do you think that that culture will play a, a large part of our growth in the future, the next five or ten years, as Amarillo continues to evolve? I mean, will it be uh, a major influence on us. I think so. I see that happening. Is that different from other cities in Texas, other places in this area, or is that following a, a pretty predominant trend? I think it's following a trend. You can see it in, in the Dallas area and some of those other larger cities. We're just kind of following following that growth. Okay. Um, I, I wonder, one of the things that um, my guests and I have, have been talking a lot about just because of the context we live in right now is, you know, what the last year has been like. And I know that a lot of, especially in the business world, it's been a challenge to uh, to kind of pivot or innovate in order to face, you know, declining customers or inability to open, you know, restaurants or adding drive-through and drive-up and delivery capabilities. Um, what have you seen just in terms of your work and your clients 
uh, as as they've navigated, you know, some of the restrictions and challenges of COVID? It's hard. And I don't think people are prepared enough for what's next. I don't think they that I would say they need to ask themselves what's next more frequently. Um, I felt a lot of our clients were like stumped with change. They were just kind of in their comfort zones. They thought it was so different to do curbside pickup and mm-hmm. to do, they would come in and they're like, what do I do? You know, do it different. It's okay to be different. Um, you want to be different. You don't want to do the things that you were doing 20, 30 years ago. And I think a lot of people had a hard time with change. It's that that failure to imagine what might be coming and, and how you might have to react to that, that, that caught a lot of people off guard. At, they weren't ready for a pandemic, that's for sure. So I think they just got too comfortable. So when you when you talk to your clients, you know, obviously everybody now knows that you have to plan for a pandemic. But like, what are some other things that that they need to be prepared for? You know, with you know, in terms of their businesses or this area, they definitely need to be prepared for how the trends are shifting with online and the growth in competition, um, because. A lot of what we offer now, um, our trends are, well, I want it right now. I want to be able to call you and you have it ready for me when I get there. And so, or I already saw it online. I know how much it costs and I know you have it in 10 different colors. And so I think people should be more, uh, figure out ways to make it faster and easier, convenient for a lot of the millennials. And I know as long, that's probably another topic of conversation, but millennials are, are the, the other influencers in our community, and they're shifting a lot of the ways we do business. Well, that's your generation, right? Yes, sir. I'm just assuming. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't yes. want to date you too much, but um, tell me, like, as you think about that, and and as you think about the different types, you know, of businesses that are popping up and that are developing. Tell me about reaching that millennial culture. Convenience. We, we live on our phones and we are so much, uh, we are, I would say, brighter. We have more knowledge at our, our fingertips. And so by the time that we get to somewhere, we already know specs. We already did our research. And so we're more prepared than probably a consumer. Um, and we are a little impatient. We want, we think we should be more efficient, Maybe that's the word. We want to be more efficient, and we hope that our business owners are more efficient with us because we want to be. We don't want to spend an hour at the store waiting. You know, we want to get there, pick it up, and go to our next thing. Okay, so there, which which may be a difference from one generation to the next is just that. Uh, I, I guess intensive focus on time. You know, the the amount of things I have to do, how long I think something should take. There's no. Nobody's spending 45 minutes shopping in a store anymore. That's probably true. I think it's we've we've found ourselves consumed with uh, trying to multitask. And so we figured out that we can do that. And so we find we try to find ways to cut in a necessary uh, time, um, which in some people are like, well, you're just impatient. I think. If, if I analyze it, I think, no, we seek to be a little bit more efficient. You know, why do you want me to wait in the car for one hour if I could call you and tell you that I, I want it and I'm going to pick it up? You know, I, right. can, I can tell you when I'm coming um, and save myself from waiting an hour in the car. 
Okay, one of the one of the things I uh, I'd like to hear from you, and I know that um, a lot of your clients there's there's confidentiality agreements, and so you don't have to go into specific detail. But I wonder if you could tell a story about a client that came to you, and and kind of walk through some of the actual steps that you were able to help them with, um, to just to give a sense of. This is what happens when you come, you know, visit and, and you've got a business idea and this is, this is what we do. Okay. I can think of a couple. One of my favorite stories um, to talk about is um, this young kid, super young, walks through my office door, Hispanic, and he's like, I want to start a business. He was probably 18, 19. He okay. was super young. And his mom came with him and he's from a small town and they are trying to apply for financing. And he's like, I don't think they want to let me borrow money because I'm so young. And I just want to buy, I think it was like 25 cattle. I want to start small and I'm going to be smart about it. And I have the full support of my parents. They're going to help me do this. And okay, so we kind of researched what licensing and permits he needed. Um, he brought me his application. His bank was wanting a business plan. And so we help them develop financial projections because at the end of the day, the bank wants to know how you're going to pay them back. Um, but also it's helpful for the business owner to know how he's going to make money. And so we drafted his um, financial projections. We also helped him uh, develop his business plan, how he was going to run his day-to-day -day operations, how he, how he was going to market his business. And he was able to turn all of that in. We, did all, we helped him with his market research um, and he successfully got funded for that, you know, it was a small, um, probably large for him at his age. Um, but later, I remember following up with him and he's like, yes, I have paid it back. And I went back and I doubled that loan and I've been mm -hmm. able to grow my operations. So it's kind of exciting for somebody that young to be able to go to a bank, get a loan um, and start his business um, and successfully. And so he's now in the cattle industry. And we get a lot of uh, clients like that. Um Recently, we also had food truck. Okay. Um, he was, um, he'd been working in the restaurant industry for 10 plus years and he just, he wanted not to work for somebody else. He wanted to work for himself. So he came in, language was a little bit of a barrier. He's like, Anna, I want to start a food truck and I've already gone to the city, but I don't understand what they need. I already have the truck. Right. Um, so can you help me with the permits and license? Um, that I need for the truck. So he would call me about once a week and he's like, I called them, I submitted my application and they're missing this. Um, can you help me uh, fill that out or where do I get that? Um, and so sales tax permit, we kind of get an overview of you have to charge sales tax and this is how you pay it. Um, and working, navigating through the permits of food because they go out and inspect and mm -hmm. you have to have a permit um, as a food establishment. Um, and so that was pretty successful. We actually got to eat there not too long ago, um, two, three weeks ago. And it's kind of nice um, that he went. It took him a full year to get his food truck inspected, license permits, and to be able to take credit cards processed um, and to kind of get the system down of um, taking orders and making sure that he didn't take 30 minutes to do that. So I think he's he's finally up and going and he's busy every day. With with all the the process that you go through, um, you know, as as someone who walks beside an entrepreneur, 
like, do you, do you almost feel like a parent, like, like you're a business and you're seeing your, this child that you knew as a baby and now the, the baby's grown up and it's an actual business. I mean, is, is there that sort of pride attached to it? Yes. I would say, yes, there's definitely a lot of pride to that because you're like, oh, I remember. I was like, it was just an idea. Look at us. We, we got to figure it out. We got it up and going. And, um, because sometimes a lot of those hurdles are like, oh, um, it's expensive, um, to do like the, uh, food trucks, um, you know, all the precautions that they take. And so you hurt with them too, whenever they run into, um, a problem, mm-hmm. um, like, Oh, they want, you know, a grease trap and it's $12,000 and I wasn't ready for that, you know, that kind of expense. And so you, you know, you struggle there with them. And so to see them finally get open and they're happy, it's, it's a pride in itself. When you think about the next few years in Amarillo, um, we're, we're always thinking about how the city can grow and how, you know, where that growth might come from, especially in the business world. I mean, what, what, what's capturing your attention? What are some of the things that you're looking at as you, as you imagine the future of the business community here? I would say our service industry is where we see growth. Um, a lot of our people are thinking about retiring and so they're taking their talents and they want to do something for themselves. Hmm. Um, so we see a lot of businesses that are service-based. And those are some of the businesses hit hardest during the pandemic, too. Yes. And it's funny because we get this question asked a lot whether it stopped. We had a lot of hurt, but it didn't stop people from coming in through our doors. We actually had a number of growth of people that are like, you know what? I'm ready to start my business. I don't know if it was the time down or the fear of, you know, we had to shut down and now I think need to think about something else. Okay. So it, it actually inspired a lot of people it or is- maybe got them thinking about what's the future of my work career going to be like. Yes. The last thing I wanted to ask is, you know, you're in a u- unique position of being a first generation um, college student. You are in the business world. You you know, came here with your parents at a very young age. I, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about, you know, how their generation feels, you know, of, of being an immigrant in a, a country like this and, you know, the, the stuff they went through to get here and then seeing your career and, and as you have flourished. I mean, do you ever have conversations with your parents and they ever say, this is exactly what I had in mind 30 years ago, you know, when we crossed the border and came, came over here? Actually, yes, we actually talk about that every once in a while, and they they believe their their pain and hardship pays off, has paid off, um, because they witness their kids. Uh, they're four and three actually went to college, and one is on his way graduating high school, and so they believe that they they see their their reward. Um, for all the troubles that they've gone through, this is their reward for having endured all of that. And I think that um, they 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 see their good values instilled in us. And whenever I do work for the community, um, I think the best way that my dad instilled in me is, you know, if you're climbing through the mountain and you make it to the top, you don't keep walking. You stay there. If there's people behind you, you kind of help pull them up. Um, and I think we've been able to successfully do that just in our in our community and the work that I do is that not just myself I think it's an overall group um, effort that I've that we've managed to do that not inspired my younger siblings but inspire other people in the community 
Um, because when I'm not working, I also, and when I'm not at home, I, I also volunteer for Los Barrios. And so okay. um, trying to help other people to to find their passion in their trades or in education. So hopefully that we kind of break that cycle of poverty and help break some of those uh, barriers in our community to help other people be successful too. Hey, Amarillo is sponsored this week by Jimmy John's Gourmet Sandwiches with three Amarillo locations, Sansi and I-40, Western and Olson, and downtown across from the ballpark. You might be wondering why a big restaurant chain would be sponsoring a local podcast like this one. Well, these franchise locations are owned and operated by an Amarillo resident who is passionate about investing, about bringing jobs and resources, all kinds of stuff here to Amarillo. Anyway, right now, I want you to know about the Smokin' Kickin' Chicken sandwich from Jimmy John's. It's got chicken, cheese, avocado, and creole sauce. It sounds amazing, but it's only available for a limited time. So go get that kickin' chicken. Okay, I'm back with Anna Ramirez. Anna, this is a part of the show called Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon on the WT campus. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes at least eight fossils that show the evolution of the ancient bison into the modern-day American buffalo. You can learn more about that at panhandleplains.org. Okay, so eight straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to uh, answer these in however much detail you want to. The first one is one, and we've covered a little bit of this territory, but it's one I've been asking all of my guests. What's one thing that the past year, 2020, revealed to you about local people? We don't like staying home. We don't like wearing masks. And we are particular about toilet paper. <laughs> okay. Um, some good things, uh, some some bad things, probably. Yes. <laughs> Have you and your clients like had any conversations about owning a business and adhering to the mask mandates and how to deal with customers and all that kind of stuff. Cause I know it's been a struggle for a lot of places. Yeah. They've, they've had a hard time innovating their products and services or the way they do things, but it hasn't been too, too bad. It's just, you know, they weren't ready, but they're having to adapt. Okay. So they've done a great job, I think at adapting. Okay. What does this area have too much of? unfinished construction and roads that need fixing. You know, um, guests have been talking about construction on this podcast for like two or three years now. And it's just, it's an ongoing thing. Like it hasn't resolved, you know, since the very first shows that I did. And maybe that's good. Maybe that's good because we've had a lot of stuff that needed to, to be fixed. Hopefully. But every time I drive downtown, the cones are still up and I'm like, they haven't done anything. Um, but maybe that'll get some folk calls to city of Amarillo and fix more roads. Yeah. Especially between here and Canyon, there's, there's been construction for years. For years. Exactly. For years. What does this area not have enough of? Things to do. Um, I think that's the constant, um, trouble in the millennials is there's not enough. There's not anything is what people say to do. I'm, I believe there's some stuff, but we could use a lot more of things that would keep our millennials entertained. Since since uh, you're in a position to speak for that generation, I'll, I'll put you on the spot. Um, is uh, when when people say that, uh, especially when younger people, like what are what are they looking for? What are the things that we don't have that maybe they've seen in in other places? 
entertainment. I think they want something to do when they're not working to something that's not a bar or restaurant. Okay. Um, more probably more outdoorsy stuff, more like a Dave and Buster's. I've heard people say it would be cool if we had one of those. Okay. Yeah. I can, I can see, uh, the Dave and Buster's appeal. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Friendly. Um, I think everywhere you go, people smile, people wave, they hold the door for you. And that's, that's something that's pretty common. We've talked about the individual cultures here and, and even how the Hispanic culture is, can be a little bit isolated, but like that friendliness is all across the city, regardless of your heritage, language, any of that stuff. I think they were raised right. You hold the door open, you smile to people, you say hi to people. So that's good. What's your favorite local restaurant? Tyler's Barbecue. What do you like about Tyler's? There's a lot of, there's a lot of barbecue places in Amarillo, a lot of really good ones. So why Tyler's? Well, one, he's one of our SPD success stories, but two, it's because we witnessed his hard work and how, um, and his food is amazing. We've tried a lot of, I've tried a lot of other barbecue places. It's just authentic. Um, but I think the, the fact that he's local and that he strives to help people is what makes it better than anybody else. Okay. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Cliffside. Overall, I'm a coffee lover, but it's it's the one that I go to pretty often. Cliffside has has really been growing the past couple of years. Do you have a specific location that you like? So the one on 45th is the one that I usually go to, and they just moved it. Um, so it's going to be the one on Western and 34th, I believe. Okay. When was the last time you visited the Big Texan? Probably seven plus years ago. Okay. Only went once. What was that occasion? I just wanted to try it. It was a touristy, um, I've never been uh, been there, and I wanted to try it. Did it meet your expectations? No, I think it, I think it was, respectfully, it definitely for tourists, it attracts mm-hmm. a tourist, and so... Which uh, the owners will say, that that's why they're there, is for yes. the tourists, not necessarily that's good. for Emerald You know, that, they know their market, um, and so I've, I haven't gone back ever since. Okay, and what's your favorite local neighborhood? Northside Amarillo, and I would say it's because of the food. Um, you can find the most authentic tacos, Mexican food um, on north side of Amarillo. Is, is there a specific, you know, stretch of, of the north side or walk, anywhere street, anything on, like that? Or? Anywhere on Amarillo Boulevard, you're, you're bound to find a food truck that's mm-hmm. open every day of the week. Okay. And when I've seen it, like, there's almost always people in line for those. Like, it's it's rare to see a food truck there that's not busy. You can never go wrong with tacos. Don't know what to eat? Tacos. Okay. And that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? I would say that uh, my endorsement would go to Los Barrios de Amarillo. I think it's an organization that actually it's grown in the last couple of years. It's a nonprofit that helps um promote higher education. And I personally can say that um, it's another world going into college. And if you were more prepared and if you knew what you wanted to go to school, more people would be more motivated to go to school. And so I think that if you were thinking about doing something this year that you could help somebody, um, and that might be my ask, go out and help somebody. But if you were particularly of doing something, I would say mentor mentorship. They have a mentorship program that they're starting off with. Um, And just to help a student kind of navigate that, that world that's completely new to them. And they're actually, 
celebrating their 50th year this year. This year? This okay. year. So it'll be that. a big deal. All right. Anna Ramirez, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that concludes the episode. Thanks to Anna for the original interview. You can learn more about the SBDC at smallbusinessdevelopmentcenter.com. Thanks also to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, Wick Realty, and Amarillo's three Jimmy John's locations for supporting the show. This episode was edited, as always, by Angelina Marie. This podcast exists every week because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Heyamarillo's executive producers include Criselda, Josh Wood, Barbara and Jim Witten, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Jess Heredia, Joshua Rafe, and Ryan Pennington. This has been episode 183. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.